understand that these uh, dear people have taken uh, time out of their busy schedules to be here, and they're here on a Wednesday night because they'd like to hear from you, because they'd like to study your word. And I pray that this would be a productive time as we study your Bible. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, over there in Matthew uh, chapter number 10. And uh, just kind of by way of introduction, I'd like to explain a couple things of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, the entire chapter deals with instructions in regards to the disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. But what you need to understand is that the first... 15 verses, and that's what we're going to deal with tonight, have to do with the disciples during the ministry of Jesus Christ. And verse 16, and for the rest of the chapter, Jesus kind of shifts and begins to talk about his disciples and his followers, but he, he kind of peers into the future and he begins to talk about the time of tribulation and end times prophecy. We're going to deal with that next week. So if that's something that interests you, end times prophecy, the tribulation, the great tribulation, I would advise you, I would challenge you to be here next Wednesday night. We're going to kind of give that its own sermon. Uh, you, you find that in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, and then in even more detail in Matthew 24. But we'll deal with some of it next week. This week, we're going to deal with the instructions that Jesus gives his disciples at the time that he's given it to them. Now, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Matthew, because if you remember last week, on a Wednesday night, we took the Lord's Supper, so we weren't in Matthew, we preached a, a different sermon, and we took the Lord's Supper, so I want to kind of remind you where we're at. We just ended uh, Matthew chapter number 9, and you got to understand the end of chapter 9 to understand the context of chapter 10. If you go back to Matthew chapter number 9, and if you look at verse number 36, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, these are very famous verses, but you got to understand the context. As we go into chapter 10, if you remember Matthew 9.36 says this, But when he, talking about Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So we end chapter 9... With Jesus just kind of seeing the great task ahead of him, he sees, you know, that the harvest truly is plenteous, the laborers are few. He says, pray ye there for the Lord of the harvest. And, and chapter 9 kind of ends with Jesus just looking ahead and seeing, man, we've got a lot of work to do. And you got to understand, in Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10, we're kind of still at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he's just realizing that there's a lot of work to be done. In chapter 10, we begin to see Jesus, organize his disciples to accomplish this great task. We begin to see Jesus. Chapter 10 is kind of the answer to chapter 9. Chapter 9, he says, there's a great task ahead of us. The harvest truly is plenteous. The laborers are few. Chapter 10 is kind of, what are we going to do about it? And we can learn five lessons from the, and I want to just quickly give you five kind of lessons or teachings about effective leadership from Jesus Christ. Because here, we get to see Jesus as a pastor. 
And we get to see Jesus as a spiritual leader. And we get to see just how he, you know, today, and I'm not against this if you, if you kind of like these books or whatever. And from time to time I'll read books like these. But today there's a lot of books written about leadership. And there's a lot of books written about uh, being productive and being effective. And, and, you know, kind of being a good business person. But if you're going to learn how to be the most effective leader you can be, you know, wouldn't Jesus Christ be the one to learn from? Amen. I mean, the greatest leader that ever lived. The greatest impact ever made. A three and a half year ministry. You know, Verity Baptist Church is three and a half years old. And Jesus ministered for three and a half years and that's the, the length of His ministry but that ministry is still impacting us today. We're still talking about it today. Over 2,000 years later. So obviously Jesus is the greatest leader that ever lived. The most effective leader that ever lived. And we can see here as He begins to organize His group just a few lessons on uh, effective leadership. Jesus' pattern for effective leadership. And if you're taking notes tonight, I'm going to uh, give you a few points to write down. Number one, I'd like you to see that Jesus, He saw this great task ahead of Him and the first thing that he does, and by the way, this is why this applies to you. Because all of us are leaders at some point. I'm the leader of Verity Baptist Church as a pastor, but you may be running a business. You may be leading a crew at work. If you're a mom, you're leading children. If you're a husband, you're leading a home. We're all leading somewhere, and you ought to you know, just realize that Jesus was a leader, and we can learn from his leadership. And when Jesus saw a great class, the first thing he did is Jesus enlisted help. And Jesus enlisted workers. Look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. Now keep in mind, chapter 9 he says, The harvest truly is plenteous, the labors are few. Chapter 10, his response is this, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples. Do you see that? He enlisted workers. He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Verse 2. And the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter. He's always the first in all of the list. And Andrew, number two, his brother. uh, James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew the publican. James, the son of Alphaeus. And Libius, whose whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanite. And and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So I'd like you to see that Jesus enlisted help. And look, he didn't enlist a lot of people. He had thousands of people following him. And he says, I just need 12 guys. And if you think about 12, 12 is not a lot. But the book of Acts tells us that these 12 men turned the world upside down. And you know, today people get this idea that if we're going to accomplish something for Christ, we're going to need thousands of people. And we need to just, you know, that's why we need all this worldly music in church. And we need all this rock music to, to attract all, you know. And you got to understand this. I learned a long time ago, I was taught a long time ago, what you win them with is what you'll win them to. And if we attract a big crowd with shallow preaching and worldly music, you know what we're going to have? A big crowd of shallow Christians and a bunch of worldly Christians. And Jesus says the, the, the answer is not a big crowd. You just need 12 guys that are sold out. You just need 12 guys that are ready to get to work. You just need 12 people. And he says, look, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to enlist. Now you got to understand, at Verity Baptist Church, just like Jesus, we can look at our community. We can look at Natomas and we can say the exact same thing. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. And if we're going to accomplish what we need to accomplish as a church in this community, in Natomas, in Sacramento, we're going to have to do the same thing. We need help. We need to enlist help. And, and you know, I, I would like to 
encourage you, if, if you, if, if you consider Verity Baptist Church, you say, this is your church home. Now, if you say, this is not my church, I just like to come here. I'm not talking to this time. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm not really talking to you at this point. But if you say, this is my church, this is my home, uh, you know, Pastor Jimenez, you're my pastor. This is where God has brought me. I would encourage you, if you're not serving in some capacity, get to work. Because we need all the help we can get. And a lot of times people say, well, what can I do? Well, number one, the number one thing that anybody could do at this church, the greatest thing that anyone could ever do, more than preaching a sermon, more than, than doing anything publicly, is this, to win a soul for Christ. That's what he called the twelve to do. To go out soul winning, to go out reaching people. But you know, there are tasks that need to be done. And you got to understand, Jesus understood this. If he had to do everything, he couldn't accomplish anything. And he said, I need help. He said, I need to enlist. He said, I need, I need 12 guys to come and help me. And you know, at Verity Baptist Church, if you say, this is my church home. I love this church. I love what this church preaches. I love what this church is doing. I, and you're not, and you come here and you, you attend here. And maybe that's all you're doing. Hey, praise the Lord for you. God bless you for you. But I would encourage you. Could we enlist you to help us? Could we enlist you to, to work? Could we enlist you to serve with us so that we could accomplish the great task? And it's not just soul winning, although we should all be soul winning. But you know, there are jobs that need to get done. And from time to time, people ask me, like, well, what needs to be done? So let me give you a few things that could be done right now. These are jobs that, no, that, that could be accomplished right now at Verity Baptist Church, alright? I just want to give you some practical things to, to think about. And number one, let me, first of all, let me say this. There are a lot of people that serve and do a lot of things around here that, that we're very thankful for. You know, here, here's a job that could be done. Someone to do a quick clean between the Sunday morning and the Sunday evening service. You know, for, for a long time, we've had Miss Beulah clean faithfully. She cleans the church every Monday after the Sunday services. This place is a mess. She cleans it on Monday. She gets it ready for Wednesday night Bible study. As clean as nice as it is now. Miss Vila took care of that. And for a long time, Miss Jen Bishop has been faithful coming here on Saturday evenings and cleaning pretty much after Wednesday and after our soul winning. She'll come in and she'll clean and she'll get things ready for the Sunday services and praise the Lord for it. I'm thankful for it. But you know, our church is getting to the place where like the Sunday morning crowd is big enough that it makes a pretty big mess before the Sunday evening. You know, and we could use an individual who say, hey, you know what, I'll stay late on Sunday night, or I'll come early, or I'll go get lunch, and I'll come back, and I'll do a quick clean between the Sunday morning and the Sunday evening service uh, to help out. That's something that someone could do. Here's something else someone could do. Cooking meals for those who are sick or having babies. We, have, uh, we constantly have people in the hospital. We constantly have people that are sick. We constantly have ladies having babies. Praise the Lord for that. But you know, someone who say, hey, I'll just, that'll be my job. I'll cook meals for individuals that are sick. That's something that a church is supposed to do. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to love on each other, especially when people aren't feeling well. And that's something that our church tries to do. But it'd be great to have someone who said, I'll take care of that. Cooking meals for those who are sick or having babies. Here's another one. Uh, we could use uh, ladies or a lady to make visits to some of the older ladies in our church who would uh, who could use some company. We've got some uh, older ladies in church that maybe their health is not well and they could use some company. They're lonely throughout the week. And my wife tries to take care of as much of that as possible. But you got to understand this, okay? My wife has, you know, three little children and one on the way. And she homeschools. And when she makes visits, she has to like cancel a full day of homeschool. There are ladies in this church that could take care of something like that, that would enjoy to do something like that. That's something you could do. Number, number four, we could use someone to drive the church van on Wednesday nights. 
Brother Ron has faithfully driven the church van uh, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights. Brother Dan faithfully drives the church van on Sunday. One of the greatest things our church does is it sends a van out and offers free transportation for people to come to church. It uh, doesn't charge anything and, and goes off faithfully. But, you know, it would be nice to alleviate some of the work on Brother Ron and have somebody say, Hey, I'll step in, I'll drive the van on Wednesday night. How about this? Wash the church van. Hey, somebody could say, hey, you, these are hard tasks. Somebody could say, hey, I'll, Pastor, the first Saturday of every month, I'm going to wash the van. I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll uh, vacuum it. I'll wash it outside. I'll do whatever. Uh, someone, we could use someone to fill and drain the baptistry. Someone who would say, hey, I'm just, just text me on a Saturday night. Let me know if there's baptism. I'll come down. I'll fill the baptistry. Sunday night after church or Monday or something. I'll drain the baptistry. I'll clean it. And that'll be my ministry. I'll take care of that. Uh, we could use, uh, when, when you ladies see activities come up, you can volunteer to help prepare for them. These things don't just happen on their own. Uh, how about ushers? We could use ushers. Brother Vincent, Brother Jose do a wonderful job with ushering, but we can always use more ushers. Or how about this? Just volunteer. Just, you know, I don't know what you're good at. I don't know what talents you have. You know, there's some, there's some of you maybe sitting there, you may be like an award-willing violinist. You know, if you are, let us know. We could have you play, you know. Now, if you, you know, if you play the banjo, you know, maybe that's not something we need. But, you know, I just don't know what your talents are. You know, it's okay to just say, hey, pastor, I don't know if you can use, you know, Brother Gramps, for example, he's a lawyer. He said, Pastor, anytime you need something, just let me know. Uh, I had him look over the lease when we moved to this building. He caught some things in the lease that would have really hurt us, and that was a great help. So I'm just saying, just volunteer. Now, don't do this. Don't be the type. If you're going to be the type of person that gets your feelings hurt, you know, then don't volunteer at all. Because, you know, if you play the banjo, I, I may not have a lot of use for that. Uh, so, but, but if you've got a, uh, you say, well, I can do, yeah, I don't know what you can do. I mean, maybe you, like, edit short films on the side. Hey, we could probably use that. You know, we, we could use your talent. So just volunteer. Now, let me, let me make something clear about this, all right? And I'd like you to keep your finger there in Matthew, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. And I'd like you to see, because from time to time I'll do this, I'll give a list of jobs, and I'll say, hey, these are things I can do. And, and whenever I do, you know, people have a, a, a willing heart, and they say, you know, I want to do that, okay? But let me explain to you something about being a volunteer and listening to work, okay? You say, Pastor Jimenez, what is the most important qualification that, a, that you, do you need in a volunteer? Is it talent? No. I mean, just look around at the people we use. <laughs> is it looks? Again, look at the people we use. You know, what is it? Okay, here's what it is. First Corinthians chapter 4. Are you there? Look at verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards... That a man be found, here's the key word, faithful. You see that? Because here's what happens, and I'm not picking on you, okay, if this is you, but here's what happens. I'll, I'll, from time to time, I'll preach a sermon on serving, or I'll give a list like this, and people will say, I can do that, and here's what most people do. They do it for like two weeks, and they just forget about it. And look, I'm the type of person that if you forget about it, I'm just either going to do it, or I'll find someone else to do it, but I'm not going to be like, hey, remember you volunteered for this? You know, here's the most important thing you could do as a volunteer. We ask you to be here early, we ask you to stay here late, we ask you to do this, you say, I'm going to do it. Just do it, and just, you know, one of, one of the greatest things that I love about this, you know, uh, Miss Blanca, Brother Sergio, bro, uh, Brother uh, Vincent, they, they show up here, uh, and I'm going to brag on them a little bit, and they're, they're going to mess up next week, watch. But, you know, but, you know, they show up to church 45 minutes before I ever get here. On a Sunday morning, I mean, they're here 45 minutes before I get here. I don't, I have, I don't have to worry about the 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 bulletins being folded. I don't have to worry. I, I come in and I can just be focused on the thing. The only thing that I need to be focused on is preaching the God's word. 
hey, that's faithful. I don't have to worry about it. If they're not going to be here, they let me know well in advance so I can get it taken care of. That's faithfulness. And you say, I want to volunteer. Here's the key word. Be faithful. Be the type of person that we just we can just give it to you and we know it's going to be taken care of. And if, you, and if you're not going to be able to take care of it, you give us enough time to deal with it. But, you know, there are jobs that can be there. Just volunteer. You've got, you know, you've got some talent. You know, you're an accountant. Hey, we could use your help. <laughs> you know, you've got millions of dollars just burning a hole in your pocket. Let me know. I can find something for you to do. Okay, just volunteer. But here's the plan. If we're going to be, Jesus understood this. If you want to get back to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus understood. If he's going to have an effective ministry, if he's going to accomplish the task that needs to be done, he understood this. I need to enlist faithful stewards. So Jesus enlisted. Number two, Jesus, not only did he enlist, but he empowered. Matthew chapter 10, are you there in verse 1? And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, notice what it says. He gave them power against unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now Jesus, and now you got to understand this, okay? And actually, I've been asked about this Quite a bit. I've, I've had like four people. I've had like four people ask me about this in the last uh, week or so. So I want to take a few minutes and kind of explain this to you. The Bible says that Jesus gave his twelve apostles the power to cast out unclean spirits, uh, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Skip down to verse number eight, just real quickly. Matthew chapter ten. And look at verse 8. He says, he's telling them, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. Okay, he empowered his apostles. Now, Sometimes today, you know, we get confused because you, because we, because there's, you know, all these Pentecostal preachers on TV, and, and they're constantly, you know, telling us uh, about, you know, Benny Hinn slapping people upside the head and saying they got healed or whatever. And you know, sometimes I'm asked the question, you know, are these sign gifts for today? Now, here's the answer. Go, keep your finger there in Matthew, but go to Mark with me real quickly. You're there in Matthew. Go to Mark chapter number 16. Mark chapter 16. And I personally believe that miracles and miracle working is not available for us today. So you need a demon cast out? Don't ask me. Alright? Because I'm not, I'm not Paul. Alright? I just want you to get away from me, actually. <laughs> you know? But, um, you know, I don't believe... Now, here's the thing. I do believe in that God heals people. Like the book of James teaches, you know, to, to call the elders of the church, to anoint them with oil, to pray over them. I believe that's totally scriptural. But I don't believe that today we have powers like Peter, where he was just walking down the street, and whoever his shadow touched was healed. Alright? I don't believe that that's for today. You say, why not? What's your scriptural reason for that? Are you there in Mark 16? Look at verse 17. Mark 16, verse 17. The Bible says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink uh, any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord has spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. So he, he just gave them all these things that they can do, right? Now look at verse 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere. Now this is a key phrase. The Lord working with them 
Working, what was he working? All those things that he said. That they're going to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They're going to drink any deadly thing and it shall not hurt them. They're going to take up serpents and they're going to speak with new tongues and they're, and they're, they're going to cast out devils. All those things. Verse 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and, notice this, confirming the word with signs following. You say, why did God allow, you know, Paul to just get bit by a viper and not die? Do you remember the story? Remember Paul gets to a a city and there are a bunch of barbarians there? And then he gets bit by a viper and the people, they look back and they're like, this guy must have done something really bad because God sent the viper to kill him. And then they sit there and they wait for him to just like fall over. But he doesn't. And he just casts the viper into into the fire. Remember that story in the book of Acts? Well, what happened after that? When he didn't die, then they were all like, whoa, this guy, this guy, you know, this guy must be, there was something special about him. Let's hear what he has to say. And Paul began to preach the gospel to them. Okay? Because you've got to understand this. In the first century Christianity, they didn't have a King James Bible like you and I have. They didn't have the Word. They were still writing the Bible. So God was confirming the Word with the signs. They were able to say, hey, our message is from God because, look, only, only God can give us the power to heal people. You understand that? But today, go to 2 Peter chapter 1, just real quickly, 2 Peter chapter 1. Today, you know, do we have to perform miracles to be able to have the authority to walk into a town and preach the gospel? No, we don't. Because why? Because we have the Word of God. This is my authority. So I don't have to come in, because Paul didn't have a Bible, he was still writing the Bible. Peter didn't have a Bible. They were still writing scripture. So God gave him the power to heal. But as soon as I believe, as soon as the Bible was completed, those signs were done with. Because the reason for the signs was confirming the word with signs. And once the word was signed, it was good to go. Are you there in 2 Peter chapter uh, number 1? Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's Peter talking. 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, And this voice which came from heaven we heard. When we were hit, when we were with him in the holy mount, do you remember the mount of transfiguration? Remember Peter, James, and John go up with Jesus on the mount, and Elijah and Moses come down, and Jesus is transfigured before them. Do you remember the story? And 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 you know Peter says, "Should we make three tabernacles?" And a voice from heaven says, "This is my son." And he says, "You know, hear him." And Peter heard that audible voice. And Peter is explaining, he said, look, I heard the voice of God coming out of heaven. He said, I saw Jesus heal the sick. And I saw Jesus, you know, uh, perform great miracles. And Peter himself had performed great miracles. But notice what he says, 2 Peter 1.18. He says, and this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. But look at verse 19. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. He says, look, he says, I heard the voice of God. But he said, you know what's more sure than audibly hearing the voice of God? He said, the Bible that we have right now, he says, this is more sure than what I heard. He says, because look, and and, and, and by the way, when people tell you, I heard from God, and it contradicts what this book says, this is a more sure word of prophecy. And when people say, well, well, I got this thing. I was preaching on, uh, I was preaching on, on Sunday morning. And, I, you know, about uh, prosperity gospel. And, I, and, we're, and we're talking, remember, we're going through the story of Joseph. And we're talking about how he's has got blessing and prosperity. But at the same time, he's going through trials and tribulations. And we're talking about how do we, you know, reconcile these thoughts. And at the end of the service, you know, I get all the communication cards and all the visitors cards. I don't even know if I should be sharing it. 
It may be you. But somebody, somebody puts in there, you know, a note for pastor. And they said, pastor, as you're preaching, I heard from God that you're going to go through a trial, so you better armor up. P.S. It's coming from someone you know. And of course, there's no name attached to it. You know, but I'm thinking to myself, if you heard that from God, then we need to, I need to add that communication card to the, the end of my Bible. Because if you heard from God, then that's God's word. And you know, I mean, look, look I go through a trial like every week. Okay, try being a pastor. You know, but people just say like, you're going to go through a trial. And they say, I heard from God. But you didn't hear from God. You know, and guess what? We're all going to go through And here's the thing. If I got up right now and I said, somebody is going to go through a trial in the next seven days. Just with the crowd we've got here, I would probably get three emails saying, Pastor, you were right. <laughs> you know, because like, because look, when you just make vague statements like that, it happens. You know, I can, I can, I can say, to, you know, something, you know, and that's what these, that's, and by the way, the same thing that Benny Hinn's doing is the same thing the Palm Reader's doing. They're just lying to you, right. and they're just, you know, playing off your emotions, and they all want one thing, your money. You know, is that what these disciples were doing when Jesus said, freely ye have received, freely give? Did God tell Benny Hinn to, like, charge people as he comes into Ark Arena so he can slap them upside the head, and when he doesn't heal them, he can say, well, it's your fault, because you didn't have faith? That's not what these men were doing. So we got to understand, you know, you say, well, Pastor Menace, where do you get your authority to preach today? I get it from this book right here. But when they didn't have this book, they were confirming the word with signs. So, but, but here's what you got to understand. Go to Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. Jesus not only enlisted, Jesus empowered. Do I believe that today people can just cast out devils at, the, uh, at their will and can just heal people at their will? I don't believe that for a second. But I do believe that God's power is still available for us today. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now today people say, well, I don't know that I can do the soul winning thing. I mean, I don't know that I'm able to do it. But you understand this. When God enlists you, He also empowers you. When God calls you to do something, then He'll make sure you have the ability to do it. You say, well, you know, I don't know that I can. Hey, ye shall receive power. You know, are you going to be able to be a famous faith healer? I don't know about that. But you can have the power of God on your life. The Holy Ghost can come upon you. So we said, number one, God in Jesus Christ enlisted help. Number two, Jesus empowered. Number three, Jesus eliminated. Jesus eliminated. Can you get back to Matthew chapter 10? Look at verse 5. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. We're almost done. Okay, we're like halfway done. How about that? Matthew chapter 10, look at verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go, now notice what Jesus says. Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. The Samaritans were half Jews, half Gentiles. He says, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, don't enter into their cities. Verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, so Jesus and his ministry said, don't go to the Gentiles, only go to Israel. Now today, the dispensationalists, okay, and if you don't know what that means, you know, just praise the Lord for it, because it's just baloney. 
But today there are dispensationalists that they'll teach that God deals with men in different ways and different eras and different times. And the dispensationalists will teach, they'll say, when Jesus came to this earth, He did not come to die for all mankind. He only came to die for Israel. Which is false doctrine, false teaching. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament and the New Testament that He came to die for the sins of the whole world. But they'll say, He only came for Israel. And they'll say, it wasn't until Palm Sunday when He rode in to Jerusalem and He was rejected that He said, fine. And He went on and said to the Gentiles. Now look, I don't believe that for one minute. You say, why not? Because when you read it, it kind of sounds like that. He says, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Syria, to, to the, the, the Samaritans, and to Enoch, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. But here's the proof, okay? That Jesus was not just like, only, we're in the dispensation of Israel, only let's get Israel saved, and if they reject me, then we'll go to the... Here, here's the proof. You're there in Matthew chapter 10, right? Look at verse 4. Remember the listing of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles? Look at verse 4. Here's one of the 12. Simon, notice what it says, the Canaanite. Do you see that? Do you know what Canaan was? It was Gentile. Simon was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. So, in the twelve apostles, there's a Gentile, and he's telling, and people say, people say, well, no, he wasn't getting Gentile saved. One of his twelve apostles was a Gentile. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. You remember the story of the Samaritan woman? When he went and saw her, she was a Samaritan, he got her saved. Okay, so Jesus, here's what Jesus is not, he's not saying, I want all Gentiles to go to hell, I'm only here to save the Israelites. And when they reject me, then I'll go. Because Jesus, you see, later on, Jesus would say, Go ye therefore into all the world, preach the gospel. To every creature. Later on, he would say, Go ye into all nations. Later, he would say, Go to Judea. He would say, Go to Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Later on, he would open it up. But at this time, because you understand, it's the beginning of his ministry. At this time, he says, Only go to Israel. What is Jesus doing? Now, we're learning effective leadership from Jesus Christ. So, number one, he enlisted. Number two, he empowered. But here we see that God, Jesus, eliminated. You say, What, is, what do you mean? He eliminated. Here's what I mean. To accomplish much, you need to eliminate the things that you cannot accomplish at this time. You know, we had a great Easter service at at, uh, Verity Baptist Church. And the choir sang a beautiful song. They did a great job. Everybody worked hard. But you know, there are some churches that had a big old Easter production. I mean, they had drama. They had an orchestra. They had, you know, know, films. And they had lights. And they had things. And you say, are you against that? I'm against most of that. You know, can it be done right? Yeah, it can be done right. You know, you say, well, Verity Baptist Church never do that. We will never do that. You say, well, it's just sinful. It's not sinful. It's not sinful at all. It's just, if we're going to be effective in the things we need to do, we need to eliminate some things. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to do that, but it's just not something we're going to do. You know, because at this church, you know, we want to know what Verity Baptist Church is known for and will continue to be known for? Preaching God's Word. So when people come here and they say, I'm looking for a big music production, I'll say, you need a church on the street. Because at this church, music takes a back seat to the Word of God. Now music is important, don't get me wrong. But it's not as important as the Word of God. So what are we going to focus on? The Word of God. What are we going to focus on? Soul winning. What are we going to focus on? Training our soul winners. What are we going to focus on? Going out into the highways and hedges, compelling them. We're going to eliminate the rest. I'm not against all the other programs. I'm not against all the other things. I'm just saying, for us, 
we're going to focus on the things that matter the most. Amen. Keeping the main thing the main thing. And Jesus said, right now, I've only got 12, so we're going to go to Israel. He said, later we'll have 70, and we may open it up a little bit. He said, when we have 120, ask one, he said, go get all the world. He's like, go get everybody. Judea, Samaria. So see, there are things that we may do in the future that we can do now. And see, good leadership will eliminate those things that you cannot... We can only do a few things well, so let's eliminate the rest. And that's what Jesus was doing. And in your life, you need to understand, you need to decide what are you going to succeed at, and what are you going to be focused on, and what are you going to accomplish well. Instead of trying to do everything mediocre, why don't you pick a few things that you can just do well. So Jesus enlisted, Jesus empowered... Jesus eliminated. We're talking about effective leadership lessons from Jesus Christ. Number four, Jesus equipped. Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 7. Jesus equipped. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. They didn't charge. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor scrape for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stay. For the workman is worthy of his meat, and into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who is in who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to equip you. Now, he's talking about meeting their needs financially. Now, you're going to understand, this is something that he had for his disciples temporarily. Because later, because remember, next week we're going to talk about the tribulation. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was still popular. People were coming to him, you know, by the thousands. But, you know, Jesus and his ministry ended up not being popular. In John chapter 6, he preaches a hard sermon, and most of his crowd leaves. And he's back to just his twelve. And then they end up crucifying him. So he did not finish his ministry as, you know, the Joel Osteen of, of, of Israel. And later on, he tells them, he says, if you've got a sword, take one with you. He says, if you've got money, take it with you. If you've got shoes, take it with you. Later, he tells them, get ready, get prepared. But right now, he's popular. So he says, he says don't go out. He said, just go out there. It's fine. He said, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to provide for you. He said, don't worry about where you're going to sleep. Just go. And when you get to the city, just inquire who's worthy. Someone's going to, he said, I'm going to make sure that somebody, uh, you know, has a house for you, has a room for you, has a bed for you, has finances for you. Someone's going to feed you. I'm going to equip you. And you know, this is a really famous quote, and it's kind of corny, but it's true. Often I heard this quoted, people say, where God guides, God provides. And it's true. God will provide. And you know, we got to understand. If God, you know, today, often people will say like, they'll say things like, I don't want to have children. Because I don't know that I can support them. But you know what? If God gives you those children, then He'll equip you to be able to support them. People say, well, I, I know that the public school is just heathen and it's wrong and it's brainwashing children. But I just don't know that I can homeschool my kids. But you know, if God has called you to do that, and he'll, he'll equip you to do it. You know, you say, well, can we really, you know, minister to 120 people at Verity Baptist Church? If that's what God wants us to do, then He'll equip us to do that. And we just got to step out by faith and realize that God not only enlists you, and God not only empowers you, and God not only eliminates some things, but God will also equip you to do the job that He's called you to do. Look at verse 14, Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. 
And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off your feet. So here we see Jesus exhorting. So we said Jesus enlists, Jesus empowers, Jesus eliminates, Jesus equips. And here we see Jesus exhort. You say, what does exhort mean? It means to give advice or counsel. To offer an opinion or suggestion as worth following. He gives them some advice. He says, whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words when you depart out of the house or city, shake off the dust off your feet. He's, he's teaching them to be efficient or effective. He's teaching them to perform their function in the best possible manner with the least waste of time. And you know, here's what he's saying. If people don't want to hear it, don't waste your time with them. If people don't, don't, if they don't value what you're doing, then just go somewhere else. He said, don't waste your time trying to drag people to church that don't value what you're doing or what you're preaching. Just find those people that are looking for the truth and focus on them. And by the way, that's what we do at Verity Baptist Church. We focus on the people that see the value. And we're not trying to get a bunch of liberals in here. Because we're not going to cast our pearls before swine. We're not going to waste our time. Look, if they don't see the value of it, then we're just going to shake off our, uh, you know, shake off the dust from our feet and move on. I told our soul winners on Saturday, I was telling them, you know, we're finishing our soul winning marathon and don't waste your time. I, I said to them, you know, Titus 3.10 says, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition rejects. And I said, you get out there and you're talking to some Jehovah's Witness, you're talking to some Mormon, don't argue with them for an hour. You know, give them one admonition. If they don't hear it, give them a second admonition. If they don't hear it, then just move on and find someone else that wants to hear it. You know, I, I told our soldiers, that was funny because I, I went out so with my sons. I had Josh and Joel with me. And I, I knocked on the door. And I said, hi, we're coming from Verity Baptist Church. Wanted to give you and your family an invitation to church. And the lady says, oh, I'm Jehovah's Witness. And my son Joel says, we're not supposed to argue with Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, we're not really supposed to tell them that, son. You know, but he's listening. Good. So, um, the point is this. Don't waste your time. He's exhorting them to be efficient. Jesus enlisted. Jesus empowered. Jesus eliminated. Jesus equipped. Jesus exhorted. Now, in verse 15, and, 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 and we're done. I'm going to show you two verses and we're done, but I want you to see this. In verse 15, and this is conclusion. Jesus gives a very interesting verse. He says, Verily I say unto you. He's talking about the disciples going and preaching the gospel in these cities in Israel. And he says, Verily I say unto you, It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah is a wicked city. Sodom and Gomorrah was so wicked, and they were in the sin of sodomy, and it was so... It was an abomination. It was disgusting to God. It was so disgusting that he, he just consumed the city with fire. I mean, a wicked, wicked city. But here he says, it's going to be more tolerable. He said, he said Sodom and Gomorrah are going to have a better excuse for dying going to hell than these cities will that you preach the gospel in. Now, go to Luke chapter 12 and, and verse 48 and we're done right here. I just want you to see this. Luke chapter 12 and verse 48. You're there in Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. The Bible says, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. I want you to notice this phrase. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. 
And you know, Sodom and Gomorrah was a horrible city, but think about how much light did they have. They had Lot. The, the preacher in town was Lot, who was living a wicked life himself. And they're going to be judged. But Jesus says, these cities that had these 12 men, these godly men, Peter, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Simon, you know, the, the, these men that went out, Thomas, he said, these cities, they're not going to have an excuse when they stand before God for rejecting you. And you know, I'm saying that to say this, and I guess I'm going to end on a, on a not-so-positive note. But for some of you, the worst thing that happened to you is you came to Verity Baptist Church. You say, why? Because to whom much is given, much shall be required. And for some of you, the way you live your life, it would have been better for you to stay at the lame church that never preached the gospel, that never preached the Bible. Because at least you could have said, well, I didn't know. I went to a lame church. <laughs> but when you get to heaven... And God is requiring the people's blood at your hand that you should have won from Jesus Christ. Come on. When you get to heaven and, and God is not rewarding you because you lived a sinful life, because you lived a worthless life, because you lived a lazy life, because you never sold out for God, you're, Jesus is going to say, you went to Mary Baptist Church and you lived like the devil? What's wrong with you? I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but you will lose your rewards. Because to whom much is given, much shall be required. And when God gives you light, He expects you to do something. Say, well, what do I do? Enlist. What do I do? Get empowered. Get out and help us fulfill the task that God... Because look, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. We need all the help we can get. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for allowing us to continue to have a place that preaches the Bible, preaches the word. And we're not impressed with numbers. You only had 12. We're not impressed with... There, there are rock concerts all over this country that are half thousands of people at them. doesn't mean your spirit's anywhere near that. But Father, I pray that you would help us. If only 12 people would say, I'm going to get sold out. If only 12 people would say, I'm going to get enlisted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to get to work. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to uh, help this church accomplish the task that God has given it. Which is to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you'd help us to be faithful. I pray you'd help us to do much with what we've been given. Father, I pray you'd help us to realize that you will empower, and you will equip, and you will strengthen us, and you will guide us, and you will provide, and you will accomplish a great task through us. Father, I pray you'd help us. Help us to get engaged. Help us to realize that the things of this world don't last very long, but those things that are done for God will last for eternity. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen.